Welcome to the Schools and Academies Show podcast. Don't forget to register for your free place at our upcoming show on www.schoolsandacademiesshow.co.uk. Welcome back to the second episode of the series. I'm Austin, your host, and this week we are looking at the theme of safeguarding. Now, the mental and physical health of children across the country has rightly been under close scrutiny in recent months, occupying more inches of tabloid press and digital columns, both as a rallying cry for those wishing for a reopening of schools as soon as possible, but also a tragic reminder of the impacts of a more long-term crisis. With a nearly fourfold increase in referrals to psychological therapies recorded by some NHS trusts, the pandemic has pushed many young people to the brink. And last month's sobering figures emerged from the Child Safeguarding Practice Review Panel, who registered a 27% increase in the number of serious incidences for the first half of 2020. The picture of increased violence and neglect at home is further darkened when considering the growing concern for child safety online. As children spend more and more of their time using digital technologies for learning and recreation, so too do they widen their exposure to harmful content, cyberbullying, radicalisation and sexual exploitation. Schools have always been at the coalface of child welfare and during the pandemic this has only increased. Teachers, school leaders and especially designated safeguarding leads are dealing with a daily influx of crisis. And owing to social distancing and lockdown, schools are more often these days at the front line of monitoring and identifying risks. At last year's show, we were so, so fortunate to learn from safeguarding practitioners such as Louise Davies from the Academy Transformation Trust, John Needham over at Oasis Community Learning, Lewis Donald from the Stowe Valley Multi-Academy Trust and Sue Bailey um, of the Arthur Terry Learning Partnership. Now it's Sue's story which immediately came to mind when thinking about how we could help provide some practical insight to schools during this time. Sue is safeguarding lead for the Arthur Terry Learning Partnership and Sue recently embraced a really nifty tool called My Concern, principally to reclaim time and build clarity, which has helped to deal with some of the pressures of the pandemic. Sue was interviewed by Natasha Lawrence, safeguarding manager at My Concern, and we pick up in the interview with Sue painting a picture of her experience during the pandemic. So I've been looking in particular at domestic violence. So we had some domestic violence training in the early part of lockdown because our data was telling us then that this was becoming an issue. So we've had some, we now need to have some more because again, the data across the 14 schools is showing um, domestic violence as, as one of our chief categories of concern. It's also telling me, particularly in our secondary schools, that students' well-being is top of the list. Um, you know, and that's linked to mental health, linked to anxiety, linked to depression. Um, and a lot of that is also linked to the category that you call home issues. So we've got a lot of families who are now, um, have got some quite severe financial pressures. So, and that's causing problems at home. So we've got families where we've been furloughed, families where we've lost a job, been made redundant. Um, sadly, we've had a significant number of families who've suffered a bereavement. So again, that's giving us right. as family issues. Um, just just e even simple things like families where grandparents have done the childcare 
and grandparents aren't able to do that anymore. So who looks after my kids after school? You know, do I finish early? Um, mm. Which, you know, means my salary is cut, my wages are cut, or do I leave them and hope for the best? Mm. And again, what, what we have noticed, and I've, I've seen some research today that um, supports this, is that we've had an increase in accidents at home. And of course, if our children are at home and they are unattended, you know, they're far more likely to have an accident than if they're in school with us or if they're at home with mum and dad. So Clarity enables me to look at those trends and then think about what training our DSLs need enable you know to respond to those trends and to respond to to the new groups that are coming through like the groups and are suffering financial difficulties it's important for me to clarify that when sue speaks of clarity we are here referring to my concerns multi-establishment reporting platform which is currently helping the safeguarding community build insight identify trends and track their progress now, Lightning Staff workload is so, so important in helping to tackle the rising tide of child safety issues facing schools. And adopting digital tools and practices is an amazingly secure and price-effective way to do this. What's more, the sector has more than proven over the last year that the hurdle of going digital is not as big as many of us might have feared. Earlier in the interview, Sue gave a picture of what safeguarding information practices look like before the use of my concern. And I think this might be a familiar image with some of our listeners. You adopted one of our safeguarding products um, quite early on. So you've been using my concern for a little while now. Um, but let's think before that, what safeguarding systems did you have in place before my concern? Well, if I'm honest, they were... Um, quite inconsistent and depended on the school and the authority. So um, different authorities had different systems, but nearly all of those were paper-based. So we had um, hardback books, which we used to spend hours drawing columns in to put in all of our referrals. In some authorities, we had wonderful green forms on which we recorded our concerns. Or in another authority, we had a purple form but fundamentally it was paper-based and it was then filed hopefully somewhere um, for other people to access. So a little bit inconsistent, not very efficient and not very easy to obtain one picture of what was happening to a child. Sadly, sometimes staff were so busy they forgot to sign, they forgot to date, uh, it didn't have the information that we wanted. Um, sometimes it would have given initials or um, a child's name, such as John, rather than full details. Um, it was rarely in chronological order, so you could have to, you might have to sift through it to find out what happened first. Um, sometimes different bits were in different parts of school. So um, if a child was on the special needs register, we might have information in our special needs department. There might be child protection information in a separate file. The tutor might have some information, head of year, progress leader, or there'll be information in an academic file that might have come through from primary school. So our information wasn't in one place and it wasn't very easy to access. Oh, thank you. And can you recall any uh, specific challenges that you were experiencing during that time? Yes, um, I can remember pulling together some case records for a child that was going for a, a Section 47 assessment 
and we had a very short period of time to get this work together and it was just a nightmare because it was all over the place um, it wasn't in order some of it wasn't signed some of it wasn't dated so that then became irrelevant um, we found information that we should have accessed that we should have known about that had gone into a file that had been stored in a cupboard that we didn't know existed um, it took an awful long time to get it ready to go for assessment in terms of sifting through putting it in order checking who had said what and where what other evidence we might have to back that up so we might have had um, student statements or students accounts of what had happened but it was all over the place so for me that was almost the straw that broke the camel's back i knew then mm -hmm. we needed a better way of recording our information the other issue was i had to do that in school I couldn't sit at home and do it as I can with my concern um, it had to be done in school because the information was in school and in a variety of places in school so I think it was that case that finally made me think we need to look for something else this isn't good enough there are so many occasions where good notation and the tools to achieve it are crucial to effectively working together and delivering at pace. I can think of so many instances in my own life where disjointed access to muddied information has resulted in unnecessary work, but in the case of safeguarding, this delay has real and lasting impacts. There are plenty more benefits to going digital. And for the final snippet from Sue and Natasha's conversation, we listen to what immediate benefits my concern has brought Sue and her team. Key benefits for me, I can access it from anywhere. You know, I've had many sleepless nights when I've got home and suddenly thought in the old days, oh, I've not recorded this on so and so's file, you know, and actually if something happens tonight, I should have done, I can do it from home. And I'm not saying to, you know, to staff that you should work from home every evening, but it does give you that opportunity if there is something that you've not recorded or you think, you know, it's really important I get this down in writing, I can do that from home. I can also look from home what else is happening in my school. So um, I can keep an eye on other people's reports. Again, I can do that from home without going and say, show me what you've written. That ability to work from anywhere is fantastic for me, particularly at the moment, you know, if, if as I say, I'm in lockdown, I'm in isolation, how would I have managed, if, you know, we're not being able to go into school to record information. Mm. I like the way it's there in chronological order. It records who's written it, what time it was written. It will link to siblings. It will link to other children if I ask it to. I also like the way I can copy um, a social worker in on a case if I need to. So that that way, you know, I haven't then got to think, oh, I need to email the social worker or the police officer with this information. Um, I, I like the functions where I can look at across the school, the number of referrals we've made. Um, the outcomes of those referrals and then I can start to think you know if we've made 20 and only two have been picked up what's going wrong you know are our expectations unrealistic have we not got the message about thresholds do I need to do some training and um, I can always look at also look at the type of language staff are using to make sure it's um, it's suitable and it's the sort of language that you might as a police officer you know be quite happy with if you have to go to court so for me it, it just gives me a much bigger window 
on what's happening in my school or across the partnership in terms of safeguarding and in terms of keeping those children safe. And I suppose the biggest thing about it is I've got that jigsaw all in one place. So I haven't got one piece in somebody's filing cabinet, cupboard, another piece somewhere else and another bit with somebody else. It's all in one place. And sometimes when you read that file through then, you know, that penny drops and you think, Do you know what, this isn't quite right. So mm. those are the benefits for me. Mm -hmm. and, and what advice would you give to others uh, looking for an a electronic safeguarding solution? Um, for me, I, 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 can't, I can't really see how anybody survives on paper now. Um, you know, I think it has to be electronic. We're moving into that, that digital world. It, it needs to be electronic. I know there are other products out there. Um, I, I know very little about them, so I can only speak of this one. And for me, it's just, it's made it so much easier. It's easier to record. It's more accessible. It gives me a better insight into what's happening. And it's at my fingertips when I need it. I haven't got to go hunting for it all over school. So yes, you know, so we'll I know do it as you mentioned as a ban on paper, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, so it's a ban on paper for, for, child, for anything to do with child protection, you know, no paper. We've worked really hard over the years to make sure that any, any member of staff who has a concern about a child comes and tells the DSL face to face. So, so mm. we've discouraged emails, you know, so in, in some ways, some staff have found that quite hard. But we still right. say, you know, I, I want to know face to face, but I also want it on my concern. The, the, the only thing, and, and it goes back to, to governors and, and senior leaders being able to analyse um, the data that's on there. And, you know, there's been one or two reports recently that have stressed the importance of that. So um, I follow Andrew Hall, um, the safeguarding consultant. I'm part of his, his group and he's just done a really interesting piece on a school that has an inadequate offset because of safeguarding. And one of the factors in there, and it, it wasn't the only one, there, there, there were several, but one of the factors was that senior leaders weren't able to analyse the data and they didn't really know what was going on. And, and for me, my concern enables me to do that. And I would feel very, very confident showing um, my concern to any Ofsted inspector and showing what our data is and what it's telling me and then what I'm doing about it. So, so, so for me, that's a key learning point. Um, mm. And it's almost stay, staying ahead of the game, isn't it? You know, when you suddenly see you've got that rise in self-harm incidents in year eight, it's thinking, OK, let's get in there quickly. So. I haven't quite yet um, learned how to drill down as far as I can go with the data, but I had a really good session with, is it Andrew? One of your Andrew trainers? Andrew Newman, you're one of our trainers, yes. In Southampton, I think. And he showed me how I, how I can use it to look at ethnicity, gender, um, all sorts of different things that, again, will really enable me to analyse what's happening. I can also look, and I found this quite fascinating, at which members of staff are reporting concerns and which yes. members of staff aren't. So mm -hmm. we had an incident, well, an issue really, in one of our schools where um, a year four class um, had had lots and lots of concerns um, throughout mm -hmm. the year as year four, moved up into year five, different teacher, 
almost no concerns. Now, our, we knew that the children hadn't changed. The concerns were still there. Sadly, the teacher just wasn't seeing them, hadn't had the training, wasn't really sure. So we could use my concern to say, hang on a minute, let's just look and let's help you. Um, let's give you some more training so you can put these concerns on, you know, onto the system and we've got them. There are lots of ways in which schools are helping to keep children safe during this pandemic. And we'd love to hear from you, the listener, especially about the successes and pitfalls you have experienced over the past year, but also what trends you are observing and what predictions you might have for when we finally emerge from the pandemic. You can get in touch by heading over to our website, that's www.schoolsandacademyshow.co.uk, where you can also find out about our latest speakers. A few highlights since our last podcast include the Chair of the Education Select Committee, Robert Halfron MP, and the CEO of the Education Endowment Foundation, Becky Francis. There's plenty more on the website, so please do check it out. That's all for now, folks. So until the next episode, keep safe. We'll see you soon. Don't forget to register for your free place at our upcoming show on www.schoolsandacademiesshow.co.uk.